Well, welcome. If we haven't met yet, my name is Will. I'm on staff here at the church, and I have this morning's message. It's going to be in Psalm 121. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open it up there. I'd like to start off this morning to say that I actually, me and my wife, it would be weird if it was just me that attended the marriage refresh, but me and my wife attended the marriage refresh uh, that was put on by Pastor Mark and his wife, Sherry, and it was an excellent time. It did exactly what it promised to do, which was give us a refreshment point for our marriage, give us the time to be able to sit and spiritually evaluate what's going on in our hearts. And so that's so valuable in a marriage. Not that you just retroactively, you know, address the problems that are spinning out of control, but that you take times to proactively protect your marriage. So thank you, Pastor Mark, for that. That was a, a wonderful time. And um, if you missed that one, I think there's plans to have another one soon. So stay tuned for that. Let's pray before we get into the sermon. Lord, it is an easy thing to say that you are my help. It is a harder thing to have my heart actually believe that. Would you be with us this morning as we explore these promises or these, these things, these assurances from you? And that we would already begin to be receptive to what the, the Spirit wants to teach us about the way that we're walking in our normal lives. Use me as an open and empty vessel to communicate your gospel this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm still reeling from Luke's energy on his Christmas or <laughs> Christmas Eve, New Year's Eve sermon that he was full of this 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 really kind of uh, energy that I don't have when it comes to making resolutions, and so he inspired me in a lot of ways. And uh, I know that the statistics out there are saying that 23 percent of resolutions fail within the first week. So knowing that, what I did is I offset a little bit. I started working out yesterday to kind of miss that, so I got out of the way of that first wave of people quitting, and that is a really corny way of me saying that that's how I'm approaching this year, but uh, he inspired me. He inspired me to act out, to make resolutions um, with my spiritual walk in the way that I live before you. And so he was combining two things that often I think get overlooked when it comes to practicing our Christianity, and that's the spiritual reality along with the physical reality, that they're tied together. I think sometimes we like to separate the two. Church is on Sunday, that's when uh, the Lord has my attention, and then all the other days of the week, it's back to the grind, back to my job, back to my family, back to being a good husband, a good wife, a good student in college, a good uh, child to your parents. And so we start to separate the two between earthly provision and heavenly provision. And when we do that as new creations, as people that something has changed when we have come to Christ, now forevermore, we start to... We start to read some scriptures imbalanced. It, it creates an unhealthy theology about the way that we think about how God cares for our life now. That right now, even in the menial tasks of your life, it is not useless. Homemakers, they, every task, every chore that you're doing is actually meant for the glory of God. It has a spiritual connection. An example of this reality between the physical and the spiritual is in the Lord's Prayer. 
We pray, give us this day our daily bread. Christ is actually teaching his disciples that it is important to ask your father for the things that you need on a daily basis to sustain your physical body. But we also know that it doesn't just end there. There is a part of us that we now get to access anew and say there is a spiritualness to being fed. And then we see this in Matthew 6 when Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so this contextually points to a spiritual, eternal reality with a very relatable physical need that we have here and now in the form of food. And so Psalm 121, which is the text this morning, uh, needs this balance between God absolutely cares about physically providing for you on the journey and for you to celebrate his ultimate provision in the life to come forevermore. They are combined. We are physical and spiritual beings. So with that kind of overview, walking through uh, Psalm 121, I think deserves a little context. It's a part of 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to uh, Psalm 134, written either by King David, Solomon I think has one, but the rest are unknown. Psalm 121 is actually written by an unknown author, and they're called the Songs of Ascent. And so these are songs that Jewish people would have sung on the road to Jerusalem three times a year by Old Testament law to celebrate in some kind of festival. And it was usually thanksgiving to the Lord for his provision over their crops or just to remember and worship. So three times a year they were commanded in Exodus to make this journey to Mount Zion where God's presence was with his people to celebrate as a community, as a nation. And during this time, by day or by night, you would have been at the mercy of the terrain. You would have been exposed to nature and wild beasts, and you would also be vulnerable to vandals and thieves. So I've often looked at my wife when it comes to kind of trekking it or camping or something and said, I never would have made it in frontier times. And I have full confidence that I could learn social cues and possibly I, I'm a capable guy, I could build a fence. And so like, but what I don't think I could live without, it would take maybe just one day to really point this. I, I don't know how well I would do without a warm shower, like a soft bed. Like I'm that guy. Most of the things that you're like, oh, those are, I could, you know, I want to be a frontier man. That's not going to disqualify me. I would get to the end of the day and I would be complaining to my wife, you know, that air conditioning has actually ruined me. Now, she agrees with this assessment. She knows that to be true. So the thought of God calling me on a journey, right, to walk, let's say, from Jericho to Jerusalem and all the dangers there, there was a feeling of fear that would possibly start to creep into some people. What if we get caught in a storm? What if there's thieves on the road? I mean, we're carrying valuable produce. We're, we're taking the first fruits from our crop, and we're going and we're going to go offer it to the Lord. So there's something that people want. I just don't know how well that I would have done. I, I think what would be my prayer? What would be my comfort in walking where God has called me to walk? And so the psalmist comes across with these words. They kind of drive the rest of the songs of ascent, but... 
if you'll notice this, the Psalms are books that start with lament. They start with humans evaluating your human condition, finding attention there, and then seeing what is true about God. And when they see that what is true about God, it leads to praise. So you could see this progression, possibly on this road, this uh, ascending to Mount Zion, Song of Ascent, to where this song was comforting those travelers, those pilgrims that were going to see the Lord. So the psalmist's confession, starting in verse 1, it says this, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where, where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. This is what he's confessing, that no matter what happens, my helper is with me. And he helps. And so if the pilgrim's confession in verses 1 and 2 about navigating this path the Lord has put him on to walk, then the song continues to answer why he is so confident and boldly able to say, no matter what happens, I'm okay. No matter what befalls me, I have help. Because the one who can help, will help, who is able to help, helps. And so then he starts to read uh, verses 1 and 2. You see it in the text. There's a perspective shift. It starts off with, I will lift my eyes. And then in verses 3 to the end, it shifts, the, the perspective shifts to you. So it's almost like a man standing in front of a congregation or other pilgrims that are worried about the journey God has called them to, and he's relaying his confidence to them so that they would know what is true about God, they would see the tension in their life, and it would cause them to worship. So it's like a pastor in his congregation, somebody giving them so that he so confidently feels in his bones that God is real to the person who's saying, I don't hear him. This is overwhelming what's going on around me. See, that might be true, but there's someone who stands above all of that. Go in confidence. So the rest of the verses serve to give us assurance as we journey. We all need help. And so there is much that we face day in and day out that disrupt, that disrupt our lives, the way that we walk on the journey God has called us to, and that can be personal sin can disrupt that. The effects of the fallen world and even natural disasters can affect that. And wicked people affect that. When you need provision, here it is, where is the first place that you turn? Is it to your own ability? Are you leaving God out of the equation to see how you can solve it first? Or are you running to him in every part of your life? The very small things. This is important. Again, when the disciples ask Jesus how to pray, and he starts listing off these like very daily basic needs. So he's like, I don't know that I need to, to like ask that God feed me as an American. I, I kind of know where my food's coming from, but he he asks you to break it down. Your father is interested in that. It's not too little to approach him to pray about, to ask for provision for. My wife is amazing. She will come to me, and this is my, I, I'm, I'm thinking big, and she'll be like, yeah, 
I've lost something, and I've asked the Lord to help me find it. And I'm like, come on. And then, and then it appears, <laughs> not out of thin air, but she finds it, and it's like, I can't say. No, the Lord heard her prayer and answered, and she does it all the time. This is the attentiveness of the God we serve. This is the truth about God that drives us through the tensions in our life to actually worship him correctly, full of joy and happiness. And so this has to be the first place that you turn with the little things and then the heavy things, obviously. However, do you rely heavily on your own ability, leaving little left for God to do? Or do you run to him first? Is your life in his hands and is your eternity in his hands at the same time? The pilgrim is on his journey and he identifies three areas of danger that the rest of the verses are going to cover and trying to give this assurance to fellow sojourners and that they would have confidence as they make their way through this journey. And this can be our life, our journey through life. And first, confidence is either in their own ability or God's ability to keep their balance on rough terrain. You see the foot slipping. The second is being vulnerable to nature, terrible things in nature. And then the last, the threat from evil men with evil intentions. So you can kind of split it up in two categories. First, they're going to talk about what trips you up? We're going to talk about us as an introspection. And then the psalm moves to, hey, things that are outside of you, things that you can't control. What is true about God in those two categories? First, let's look at finding godly confidence in your personal weaknesses in verses 3 and 4. Scripture says, He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I like this. God will not abandon you in your own ability. For some of you, that's a relief. Oh, thank you, yeah. For some of us, that, that stings a little because you fancy yourself a very capable person, a very able person. Some of you could show me your bank accounts. Show me, some of you could show me your success. You could track it on a piece of paper. Some of us really rely on what we can do with the talent that we have, our charm, or where we've gotten in our lives. But God will not abandon you in your own ability. And the reason is, because it doesn't matter how impressive that you are, it's still a little shaky, and I think we know that. I know that. I'm a confident person when it comes to doing some things but I know I fail. Now, I can have an ability to kind of hide it from other people, but when I hit my head on the pillow at night, I know that I've messed it up. I know that it wasn't perfect. And here's the problem with trusting in your own ability, your own assurance that your foot is not going to slip, not because he's watching you, but because, man, I can navigate a path. I can do well. When you start to put too much 
investment, things, and trust in the way that you can overcome certain situations and you start to build your, uh, your mindset up that you are capable, if something happens to you, maybe you didn't fall, but let's say something pushes that over and it topples, so does, it takes with it all of the investment you put into it and it kind of crushes you. However, when everything starts to crumble outside of you and it's the Lord who will not let your foot be moved, then he's the one that holds you up because you've placed all of your trust and your confidence on the thing that can't be moved. And so we have to trust God. We have to find this godly confidence even in our personal our weakness. We have to come to the Lord and he's not saying, I need you to perform so well to be here. He's asking you to acknowledge that your gifts, your talents, they are all from him and that you should trust him when the ground starts to get shaky or the gravel starts to slip from under your foot. If that is your confession, if that is your belief, guys, you will be okay. Now, I love this video that I've seen online. And uh, when I started to write this, I was like, is there an example I can give? Between showing somebody that's so confident that just failed immediately. And the video that, I, that draws to my mind is the, there's an on-site reporter who's interviewing runners, right? Because they're crazy. No, <laughs> I run sometimes. Uh, um, she, she is interviewing two runners that are running out in the snow. Have you seen this? Yeah, okay. And so the, as they're going through it, the question on the table is, hey, should you guys really be out here doing this right now? And this girl gives this, she gives this amazingly confident answer. And she says, she says this, um, this is actually the perfect texture for running, right? And she goes on to this long, wonderful explanation, dispelling all myths and rumors that you shouldn't be doing that. And you kind of leave that conversation with them going, oh, it's probably, you know, the next time it snows, maybe I should go outside and run. And then the cameraman pans the camera wide as they kind of run away. And you see her hit a patch of ice and her feet come out from under her and she grabs her lower back and winces in pain and the reporter says, oops, that can happen. <laughs> she was so confident in this, in this explanation, her understanding and her ability, and she immediately got proven wrong. Yeah, I bet she's, she's always questioned that day and be like, well, if that patch of ice wasn't there, right? But it was. She didn't anticipate that. We all slip. We all need help. Your ability alone was never meant to bear the weight of contentment. Did you catch that? God is not relying on your ability to make you content. He asks you to run to him for your contentment. And that will never fail. There's this phrase that comes up. It came up when I was growing up. I hear it every once in a while still. God only helps those that help themselves. No. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not. He knows your frame. Jesus did not come in vain. He came for a reason because you couldn't do enough to get to him. 
he bridges that gap. So when you bet the farm on who God is, is the one that keeps you. Listen, and the way that the psalmist goes here is, I loved this. I loved this verse from a very early age. Thinking about this truth about God, he will not let you down. The fact that he does not sleep. It's the truth about God that drives correct theology. Listen, he is always watching. He doesn't sleep when you sleep. Of course he hears and sees every single one of your needs. Prayer is always answered. And that's a bold statement. But it is always answered. But sometimes we have to get comfortable with the answer. It can be a yes. Sometimes it could be a no. And then sometimes it could be not right now. But he's not away. He's awake. He's vigilant. He needs no rest. Taking care of you is easy for the, the God that holds all of the particles that make up everything together by his will. That holds the stars in place. That nurtures a single blade of grass somewhere in North Dakota. He is capable because of who he is. And that should drive you into a place where you go, well then he gets, he can help. He can help me. Think Peter walking on the water. Everybody knows the story. Jesus is walking on water. The disciples are in the boat. Peter's like, hey, call out to me that I come to you. And he's like, yeah. And Peter starts walking on the water. Well, how does the story go? He starts to sink when he focuses on the waves, the storm. He looks down. He's like, I... And then all of a sudden, he took his eyes off Jesus, and he starts focusing on how am I going to navigate this going on, and he starts to sink, and Jesus saves him. What is true about God is, what he, is that he doesn't disappear or sleep, but that he is there, and he provides his strength when we run to him, when we focus on him. So maybe you're caught in that, just focusing on what's crumbling around at your feet and you're in despair right now. I've been there too. You don't know how all this is going to work out at your job or your marriage is a little bit on the rocks. Is there hope? There is if you focus on Jesus, the author of life, the one who made the hills. And so this can be your prayer in times of temptation or weakness when you really evaluated how you're doing. He who keeps me will not slumber. And here's the action step prayer in James 4, 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Spiritual reality, physical reality. And so speaking of Peter sinking in the water... <laughs> That leads us to our second area of trouble that we will face in this life on this journey. And that's gaining godly confidence over the things that you can't control. In verses 3 and 4, they, if they focus on the internal, then the rest of the verses this morning, they focus on external things affecting you as a follower of Christ. Things that are absolutely out of your control and things to be feared. So let's pick back up in verse 5. 
The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Okay, a few years ago, me and my family were living in Maryland, which, is, which was a good experience for us. And I had always grown up in the South, grew up in Texas. I grew up at, at different times on a farm. So I was very accustomed to wildlife. One night, I was in the, the lower portion of our house. Everybody was asleep. We lived in a neighborhood. All is quiet. Everything is as it should be. And I heard this, this shrieking moan sound, right? And I couldn't identify it. It was horrific. So... I knew what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to go outside, find that, protect my house, figure out what that was. I go outside. This time, it's louder and it seems closer. I determined that it's a demon, and I did what any of you would have done, and I ran back inside and tried to forget about it and go back to sleep. I don't want to mess with that. Like, I have heard a pack of coyotes howl for food. That's intense. I've heard a barn owl shriek, which is a terrible noise too. This wasn't anything like that. I was bothered. So I went to work the next day, and I was talking to a guy that lived in Maryland all his life, and I was, like, I was trying to explain the sound to him, and I was trying to make it. I won't do that for you this morning. Um, and he was like, Will, that's a red fox. And they're more afraid of you than you are of them. And I was like, just in case you were wondering, that's what the fox says. It's horrible. <laughs> That, that, was, that was for my older daughter. She likes the jokes. So, listen. Now, what if that was a mountain lion? That's a different story. What if it was an animal that actually wasn't scared of me? What if it was an F5 tornado, which is the worst you can get? Do these verses... Stop being true if the storm overwhelms you. Likewise, read with me in verses 7 through 8. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus tells a parable in Luke 10 referencing the road from Jericho to Jerusalem. You would know this parable as the Good Samaritan. So the way that he sets up this parable is to explain that somebody has been attacked on the road, robbed, and left within an inch of his life. Now, the parable plays to the people listening to it because the people listening to it, they understand that context and they're like, yeah, absolutely. The road from Jericho to Jerusalem is dangerous. That kind of thing does happen on that road. So Jesus goes on to teach the parable of the Good Samaritan. Everyone know that it could have happened. Thieves and vandals would prey on travelers, even in the southern kingdom of Israel. So what happens to these verses if you were singing them on this journey to Zion, if the wicked men succeed? What help is the pilgrim so sure about that he's giving confidence to others now if the storm overwhelms and thieves actually show up? Although God knows what you need and physically provides what you need, 
Ultimately, what the psalm is saying that is more valuable than the physical, what the physical is really meant to point to, is that nothing changes who or what happens to you and what gets stolen. So let me explain that a little bit. What God has spiritually provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that this life is a placeholder for the one to come. That we are a people that are not just physical and spiritual, but we are temporal and eternal now and forevermore, like the end of the psalm says. The storm may be too harsh. The wicked may be satisfied in their endeavor, but they do not, listen, they do not get to keep you. This is kind of the thought if two men are arguing and one of the men says, well, you know what? I'm just going to beat you up. And whoever wins, that's whoever was right. And that's how history is played out. So the thought is, if thieves descend, if they take my life, if the storm is harsh or the wild beasts take me, do they get to keep me? Am I lost forever? Do they win? The Lord is your keeper. The Lord stands above all of that. One of my favorite pieces of history from the Old Testament to help me have this kind of eternal mindset, how these things make sense together along with what my physical needs are, maybe even the middle of suffering, is the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three Israelite exiles to a foreign land under a crazy king named Nebuchadnezzar that fancied himself a god to be worshipped, demanded that these men forsake the Lord and bow down to his idol. Now, living outside, Israel has been invaded at this time, and they've been exported to a a different land. And so even in this time, the Lord has made provision for them in the book of Daniel that these aren't even their real names. These are not their birth names, Meshach, Shadrach, uh, and Abednego. These are their Babylonian given names. So there was some concessions, but when it came down to forsaking the Lord and worshiping King Nebuchadnezzar as God, they said no. And so as the story goes, the king was not enthused by that. (laughs) He ordered their execution for them to be thrown into a furnace. This is how they responded. Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. You better believe that was those three men's prayer. Please deliver us. Save us from this situation. Then, verse 18, but if not. Did you catch that? They knew the truth about their God. They knew the ability about their God. But they also knew that if he didn't choose to deliver them, 
It goes on. But be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. This is the correct mindset. That the, that the temporal is temporal. We have the eternal to look forward to, and they knew it. Now, just to relieve you, as the story goes, they get put in the furnace, and they don't burn up. And it said that there was another figure that appeared with them that they were conversing with, and everybody goes, that was Jesus, and I think that it was. And he did deliver them. Psalm 121 echoes this understanding. On this journey, the hills can be seen as a place, uh, certainly, to be on top of, to, to find your security, because then you can see 360, you can see all the dangers around you, and that's a good place to be. Or it could also refer to the valley that you would be in, or the gorge that you would be in, trying to get up to that in the uncertainty of what lie in the valley. And so confronted with the unknown, the pilgrim in, in the psalm is evaluating where his help is going to come from. My own ability, my ability to scale and to, to pinnacle the top of that hill, to, to survey and to set up my own deal. No, 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 no. Because even that will fail me. My security is the one who made that hill. Because if that's where my security lies, I will always have the help that I really need now and forevermore. So instead of relying on the shifting security of the landscape, he places the security on the one that made the hills and not the hills themselves. And so does Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get this. He looks at his own past ability in the landscape before him, and the pilgrim knows everything falls under the guardian care of God. The physical here and now care, the plea, he is able, he will, but if not, I'm okay. Because you know what? Although things might defeat me, they don't get to win. He is my keeper. Nothing keeps me but him. This is a verse that will give you strength. This is the verse that you can pour over, be reminded about what is true with God, and watch the lamenting part of your heart start to melt away because he's got you. Listen, it's not only true about what and who God is, but it's also true about what he has actually promised and done. We're on this side of the cross, so we get to see God's fulfilled answer in Jesus Christ. We get to see all of the references to, like, this isn't going to be about you saving yourself, but me that comes and steps into human history, lives a life that goes through all the struggles that you do, that will suffer in the same way that you suffer. And he walked through it all the while, thinking of us, his Father's glory, our salvation, pushing towards his execution. God did that. He's proven that he's faithful, that we could look back at the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and turn it over all to him who is able and capable and wonderful in his care and finally cry out, I need help. Will you help? And he will be your help. Worship springs when the world tries to crush you. Christianity and Jesus has the answer to set your foot on solid ground. The work is done for you, that you just get to show up and accept this free grace, this free gift of grace 
And then leave that point, never the same, changed forever, offering over all who you are to the care of a God who knows you intimately and says, I am going to help you. What do you need today? So friends, where do you turn first? Is it in your heart? I'm not going to bother God with this. This is little. Not to the one who's your helper. This problem's too intense. God can't fix this. this it's, it's gone. The situation's over. I have to get out of this. There's no hope. God is your helper. He stands above all of these problems. So this call is into an eternal mindset, a heart that knows the spiritual answer to the physical needs. So I want to close with a statement again I heard this week, mentioned again. God only helps those that help themselves. Thank you, Father, that's just not true. You saw us in our helpless state, riddled with self-reliance, stumbling, sinfully destructive hearts, enemies. And in your character, because of your great compassion, had the means for our salvation, employed it and sent your son to die a death that we deserved so that we could journey to a kingdom and be citizens that we could never scale the mountain and find ourselves. With the cross before Jesus, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, listen to this, Christ was praying for physical strength to go through with his father's plan. He prays so earnestly that he receives it and then he's able to go to the cross. I have a feeling that verses like Psalm 121, Psalm 145, 144, they were in Jesus' heart. He is my rock. He is my refuge. He will get me through because he is my deliverer. He is my help. And God did not put his son to shame. Jesus went to the cross to die for us. And God raised his life. He brought him back as an image that all that would believe and trust in Jesus Christ, that if God could do that for his son, we get to share in that. We have hope for eternal life, making the physical and the spiritual connect, making the temporal become eternal because of what Christ is. If you believe and you trust in that call, friends, then this can be your perspective. These assurances in Psalm 121 can help you right now forevermore. Friends, it's, it's very simple. God wants you to ask for help. For the Christian, let that rest on you. He does not sleep. He sees you. He knows you. Every part of your need. He sees all that's going on in your life. The trials, the tribulations, the persecution. He sees it all and he stands above it. And it will not win the day. For anyone that's far off from God, that's never considered running to the offer of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, he calls you this morning. 
There's an urgency behind it. See this great love. See this great sacrifice and respond. But be honest with yourself. Do you need help? The answer is yes. We all need help. Come and join us in what we have found in the wonderful promises of God through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, if you don't know how to do that, please find me after the sermon. Find Pastor Luke, Pastor Mark. Find anybody in here that's raising their hands in worship and ask them what that relationship looks like. 